Hello everybody, this is the sixth sermon in our series looking at what is our mission. Today we're looking at evangelism and the passages are Isaiah 52 verses 7 to 10 and Romans 10 verses 9 to 15. I want to begin with a very simple question. Why should Christians talk about their faith? I mean, I really dislike it when people stop me on the streets and try to sell me things. I cross the road to avoid posters carrying clipboards. And I can't be the only person who's pretended to be out when Jehovah Witnesses have knocked on the door. Shouldn't faith just be a private matter? Are not the best sort of Christians those who just live quietly, keeping themselves to themselves? The short answer to that question is that even those quiet Christians, someone must have told them about the Christian faith, otherwise they wouldn't believe at all. But of course, there's much more to it than that. There are some very good reasons for us sharing our faith with others. First and foremost, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, commanded it. Listen again to these famous words from the end of his time on earth. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. To tell other people about our beliefs, then, is to be obedient to what Jesus asked of us. Second, we're to tell other people about Jesus because we love them. If we were lost in a desert and stumbled across an oasis, it would be extremely selfish not to tell the thirsty people around us where their thirst could be quenched. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the hearts of men and women. Sometimes this recognition of a spiritual thirst comes from surprising sources. The singer Sinead O'Connor once said, As a race we feel empty. This is because our spirituality has been wiped out and we don't know how to express ourselves. As a result, we're encouraged to fill that gap with alcohol, drugs, sex or money. People out there are screaming for the truth. So if we truly love our family, friends and neighbours, we will try to share with them the source of life they need, the truth that will satisfy their deepest longings. Third, we are to share our faith because it is good news. In fact, if we have really come to terms with just how good the gospel is, we will have an instinctive and urgent desire to pass it on. For any of us who've got engaged or had a baby, we know these are events that excite us so much, we just cannot stay quiet about them. We tell everyone we know. This week, when I heard that we were able to sing again in church, I immediately phoned Anna and Andrew to let them know they could have singing at their wedding and then sent an email around the whole church. Human beings naturally want to share good news, and that is what the gospel is. Today, we are focusing on the theme of evangelism. Evangelism is one of those Christian jargon words that we have to make sure we know what it means. Be it evangelism, evangelist, evangelical, all these churchy words come from the same root, the Greek word evangel, which the Bible translates gospel, which simply means good news. 
As we talk about evangelism this evening, we are talking about the mission of God's people to bring good news to a world where bad news is depressingly endemic. On Sunday nights, we are following a series on mission. We are asking ourselves the most important questions human beings ever ask. What are we here for? What is our purpose in life? So far, we have talked about living a life that blesses other people, living a holy life that shines in our dark world and shows onlookers what God is like. We've spoken about the call to justice, setting the oppressed free. And last week, we spoke about witnessing for God, sharing testimony of our first-hand experiences of the Lord. All these things that we have looked at so far help us to build relationships with those around us. For example, our holy living gets the world's attention, gains us credibility. They all pave the way for us to communicate something about God, to speak about our faith. But even if we're not knocking on doors like the Jehovah Witnesses do or accosting people in the streets, many of us still find speaking about faith really difficult. Many of us just don't know what to say. Of course, every conversation we have will be different, conducted in different language and vocabulary, depending on who we are speaking to. But today, I'm going to try and give us a framework for what we should try to communicate. Three easy to remember points that come straight from the Bible and should form the core of our message. Let's now turn to our readings to discover them, starting with Isaiah 52. As Isaiah wrote in the 7th century BC, the people of Israel were in a situation similar to many in our world today. They were in despair. Israel was in a terrible state. They'd been attacked by the Babylonians. Many people had died and even more had been carted off into exile. Thousands of people had lost loved ones, their land, their city, their place of worship and ultimately their sense of hope. Their lives were in misery and they were desperate to hear some good news. However, unbeknown to them, God knew of their predicament and was in the process of sending his prophet Isaiah to the people with exactly that. In our reading, Isaiah has a vision of a messenger running to the desolate city of Jerusalem. In those days, messengers would run home with news from a distant battle. Wonderfully, this messenger of Isaiah's dreams comes bearing the news of victory. In the short section that we read together, the messenger announces three things to the desperate people of Israel that had the power to turn their weeping into songs of joy. Don't worry, Israel, I bring good news. Your God is reigning. Your God is returning. Your God is redeeming his people. Let's take them one at a time. Above all else, the key message of this prophecy is that Israel's God reigns. Everything else works itself out from that fundamental truth. At the time, Israel thought there was no hope at all. But there is always hope when you know that your God sits on the throne of heaven and earth and is orchestrating events. Listen again to verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. 
In that one verse, we find three things that the reign of God assures us will come to pass at some point. First of all, the messenger proclaims peace. He foresees an end to the violence and conflict, brokenness and despair that the people live in. He declares that instead, the king of all the earth is working to bring wholeness and fullness of life to his people. When the Bible speaks of peace, it is speaking about far more than just an absence of war. It's God restoring all things to how he intended them to be. Under the reign of God, we will be at peace with God, ourselves and the world. All our relationships will be reconciled. Second, the messenger announces good tidings. Isaiah is declaring here that when the sovereign God acts, it will be good. Do you remember right at the beginning of the Bible when God created the world? He looked down at his handiwork and declared that everything was very good. This verse is a deliberate reference to that. The sovereign God is working to restore all things to the beauty they had when he first created them. It's a promise that when God reigns over all creation, over all humanity, it will be good. For God is good. Third, the messenger announces that God is working to bring salvation to his people. Because God reigns, because he is sovereign over all, more powerful than any other foe, he has the power to win the victory over all that binds us. For the Israelites at the time, that meant rescue from oppression and bondage to the Babylonians. But as we read on in the Bible, we discover that that word salvation will mean liberation from so much more. But we will come back to that. For now, let us hold on to this. It is so important for despairing human beings to know that God reigns. He's not been defeated by the things that trouble us. Indeed, those things can only take place within the parameters he sets out for them. For Israel, it was God who had personally allowed the exile to happen, so he was the one with the power to undo it. This is a difficult truth to grasp, but it's the only way to hope. Our God is sovereign. He remains in control. When you know that God reigns, you know that sooner or later, God's peace, goodness and salvation will be made known. His purposes will be achieved. So that's the first thing Isaiah's messenger, or should we say evangelist, declares. God reigns. But the second thing that he announces to Israel is just as extraordinary. The sovereign God is returning to his people, returning to live in their midst, to dwell right there in their broken down city alongside them. Listen to verse 8. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. When Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians and many people were taken off into exile, it was not just the captured Israelites that were seen to leave the city. With the temple destroyed, the Israelites felt as though God's glory had left them as well. There is nothing that makes a human being despair as much as loneliness. The Jews thought they'd been abandoned. Without their God with them, they were vulnerable, hopeless. But that was to be the case no longer. Yes, God had allowed some terrible judgments to take place. If you read the Old Testament, you discover he had no other option. He tried to call his people for years to order and they'd simply ignored him. The exile was the last resort to get their attention. 
But now that he had it, now that the people had repentant hearts, he was on his way back to them. The messenger announces that God wanted to live with his people once more, to dwell among them. To the Israelites, who knew from centuries of experience the goodness of God, this was the best news they could possibly hear. The God of heaven and earth living with you, protecting, providing, blessing, helping you in all you do, is simply the best. No wonder in Isaiah's vision the watchmen are dancing on the walls and shouting for joy as they hear of God's return. So God reigns and God is returning. This is great news. But the messenger still has one more announcement to make to the distressed people of Jerusalem. God is going to redeem his people. This is verse 9 to 10. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. In ancient Israel, the word redemption came from the marketplace. If you found yourself in debt, you would sell yourself into slavery to pay it off. However, if a close family member had the means of doing so, they could release you from your slavery by paying a ransom price on your behalf. This act of redemption rescued you from your loss and the harm of living in slavery. When you read the word redeem in scripture then, you are reading about a decisive, powerful action that pays whatever cost is needed to restore an entrapped person to life. In this passage, God is promising to rescue his people from Babylon, just as he had rescued them from Egypt all those years before. God knew that his people could do nothing to save themselves, so out of his great love he would step in and do it for them. He would bear his holy arm. But notice this. Isaiah says that when God redeems his people, he would do it in the sight of all the nations. The whole world would get to see how much God loves his people and have a chance to respond to that for themselves. It's a great reminder to us that God had always desired to rescue all people, all his creation, not just the nation of Israel. Israel were just his chosen messengers to announce this good news to the world. So to the greatly distressed, bereaved, lonely, hopeless people of Isaiah's day, this was the good news. Their God reigned, was returning and would redeem his people. That announcement alone had the power to turn their sorrow into joy. As Christians, we know that Jesus of Nazareth was the ultimate fulfilment of this prophecy in Isaiah 52. 700 years after Isaiah spoke those words, Jesus proved them perfectly. As we heard at the beginning of this sermon, Jesus now sends us out as messengers into our despairing world to speak of him. So therefore it makes sense if we use the same three points that Isaiah did. Our world desperately needs to hear that Jesus reigns. This is what all four of the Gospels in our Bible bend over backwards to declare. Jesus was the Messiah, God's anointed King. He was the one the people were waiting for, the fulfilment of Isaiah's words. In fact, the whole of Jesus' ministry was him giving evidence as to who he really was. He told parables of the kingdom, speaking with the authority of a king. He did many miraculous signs, showing the power of a king. He rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a king, 
He died with a plaque over his head announcing that he was the king. But of course, all that was just the beginning. When Jesus rose again after death, he proved beyond doubt that he was who he said he was. Now he has risen and ascended. He reigns on God's throne. He has been glorified as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, worthy of our praise and our attention. So as our world suffers today, it needs to hear that no matter what happens, the past, present and future is held together by the hands of Jesus. He reigns over all. And because Jesus reigns, one day, peace, goodness, salvation will be all there is. For there is no one with the power to stop him. The second thing that we know as Christians, and that our world desperately needs to hear, is that Jesus is returning. Isaiah foresaw that day when God would return to Jerusalem. In the person of his son, Jesus Christ, he did exactly that. All the people there present in the first century saw Jesus with their own eyes. They touched him, talked with him, ate with him. They knew that God was among them. Now, because God kept his promise that first time and returned to his people, we can be sure that he will keep his promise and return again. For that is what Jesus himself and the whole of the rest of the Bible teaches. One day, Jesus, the reigning king, is coming back. Not as a meek and vulnerable baby like he did last time, but in power and glory. The Bible tells us that when Jesus returns, he's going to put the whole world right. And that means dealing with the sin that is so prevalent and has done so much damage. When Jesus returns, there'll be judgment for those who have rejected him. But there will be salvation for those who have heeded his call and turned to him in faith. This is a vital reason why Christians need to share their faith today. Because people have to be prepared for Jesus' return. That day will have eternal consequences for them. They need to know about it. But our evangelism is not to be all fire and brimstone. Remember what we have said all the way through. The gospel is good news. And above all else, we must make our announcement of it sound like good news. And we do this by explaining that Jesus not only reigns and one day will return, but that Jesus is also our redeemer. In fact, that is what his name means. Jesus means the Lord is salvation. At the heart of the Christian message is the cross, the place Jesus died to pay the ransom price for each one of us. He did not just set us free from slavery or captivity to the Babylonians. Jesus has set us free from the hold of sin, evil and death. He sets us free from the judgment we deserve. He forgives us for all our wrongdoing and restores us to right relationship with God. He makes it possible for us to live with him forevermore when he returns. This then is the good news. Jesus reigns over all the powers that threaten us and make our lives a misery. He is above all those who arrogantly set themselves above us. He is above even this virus. Jesus is returning to save us and all his creation from despair. Jesus is the one redeemer of humankind, the one saviour and Lord who sets us free from all that binds us, replacing our regret and sorrow with joy, peace and hope. It is Jesus that allows us to truly live in the present and to live for eternity after death as well. 
This is the good news. It doesn't matter how we communicate it, what words or imagery we use, but our friends, family and neighbours need to hear that Jesus reigns, Jesus is returning, Jesus is our Redeemer. There is only one more brief thing that we need to say on this topic for now. Good news needs responding to. I had some good news recently. Emmy and I had been invited to Anna and Andrew's wedding. In 12 days time, they'd like us to celebrate with them by sharing a meal at the Macri. Emmy and I were delighted to be asked, felt very privileged. However, this week, Anna had to send me a reminder. I had forgotten to reply to their invitation. The simple truth was we had to let them know we were coming. We are to accept their invitation to benefit from it. Otherwise, there'd be no banquet for us. This is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in our second reading from Romans 10. Did you notice that as he wrote it, he quoted Isaiah 52. That passage was foremost in his mind as he preached the gospel. Paul had good news to pass on to his readers. In verse 13, he states, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, the invitation to God's goodness is available to all, but every single person needs to respond to it for themselves. They need to reply to God's invitation. They need to call on the name of Jesus. Just as Anna sent me a reminder this week, we need to put that reminder to our friends and family as we share our faith as well. But that passage from Paul brings us full circle to where we began this sermon. How can people call on the Lord, Paul asks, if they've not heard about him? How can they seek his forgiveness if they do not know of the cross? This then is our job, our mission. We are the ones who are to tell them that Jesus reigns. Jesus is returning. And Jesus is our Redeemer. Yes, it's difficult at times, but all the encouragement we need is there. As both Paul and Isaiah wrote, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news.